Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, July 23rd, 2023. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 to 17. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. This morning we'll be in Hebrews chapter 12. Looking at, we'll be, we will be looking at uh, verses 14 to 17. So I'm going to read those verses, and then we'll pray and and get started. Verses 14 to 17. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears." Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for just these words this morning as we approach Hebrews 12. And uh, Father, we, we're very humble, very humbled. And we know that we can do nothing apart from you and your spirit working in us. And apart from Christ, through whom and by whom and because of whom has come down to us. So this morning, as we approach this passage, I pray that the gospel of Jesus would be preached. I pray that that I would decrease, that Jesus would increase, and I pray pray the same for all of us. I pray that if someone is not a Christian, they would hear the gospel today and turn, look unto Christ, and, and certainly receive eternal life and salvation. Father, I pray that in spite of me, as I feel that I am the greatest of sinners. I pray that you would work. We give you this time, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. The title for this sermon and next week's sermon is is called Duties and Pitfalls of the Gospel Life. And so, in our text today, we continue the author's theme of running the race. Okay, he's talking to the Hebrew Christians, keep on going, keep on going, keep on swimming, keep on going, he says. <clears throat> and these Hebrews had come to Christ as the fulfillment of all of God's promises from the Old Testament. And by faith, they had trusted in Christ. They had become Christians, we would say, in our language today. They trusted in the one-time sacrifice. They they left behind all the sacrificial system, Mosaic law, or the sacrificial system that was going on there, all of their traditions. And because of their faith and their departure from Judaism, from the law of Moses, now they were being persecuted. And they had come to know the truth that, that here they were, those who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's 2 Timothy 3.12, and that's for us. Those who live 
godly in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say maybe. It says will be persecuted. And some of those Hebrew Christians or those who were professing Christ and the danger there was for them to turn back to the old sacrificial system. And as we've seen throughout, especially Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, and even as we'll see next week particularly with Esau, this was apostasy. According to Hebrews 6, 6, they were crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. And in chapter 10, verse 26, the author warns, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. So this theme is just continuing through the book, the letter to the Hebrews. Those folks had received and heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the writer to them, this this person, as a good pastor, he warns and he exhorts and he gives practical instructions as, as to how they might live out their lives in the gospel. And so following on the heels of last week, we talked about how God disciplines us as Christians. And so following that from last week, he moves on to some practical duties to follow. That's where we're at today. Practical duties, okay? Next week, we'll look at the pitfalls. And I'll have to be honest, even up to last night, I had a very long sermon, and there was just too much dealing with Esau and the birthright. So we're going to have to wait for next week to deal with that, because I'm going to go back in the Old Testament. So today is much shorter than, than normal, though we will read our covenant at the end. But today, we're just looking at part one, the duties, okay? How do we, what are the exhortations for us, the duties that we must live out in this life as we profess Christ in the gospel. And so here they are. The first one is this. The gospel life requires that we strive for peace. So there's the word, peace. Peace with all men. Number two, the gospel life requires that we strive for holiness. So nothing new today. These are reminders. But truth number one, the gospel life requires that we strive for peace with all men. Look at verse 14. Very clear. Strive for peace with everyone. So the word translated as strive in English means to earnestly go after something. Um, 1 Peter 3, 10 and 11, we see this same word translated as pursue after something. Whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Same word we have here in Hebrews. The picture is like a, a, a sailing ship that's trying to overtake the enemy ship who's also sailing. And they're doing everything they can to open up all the sails and go faster than that other ship to pursue that ship and overtake that ship. That's kind of the picture. The root of the word is really to persecute and that's used in different contexts but the Hebrew Christians were being persecuted diligently by the the the, the, Jew, the Jews from the old tradition so they were being persecuted so he's turning it around he's saying you as much as they are persecuting you you diligently 
persecute or diligently pursue peace with those same folks who are persecuting you. And all men pursue peace. So this is what we do as Christians. We are called peacemakers. Jesus says, do you know this? Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the what? The peacemakers, for they shall what? They shall see God, which is what our text says. Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. That's what we do. That's what we strive for. Concerning the gospel we confess, he also says that we live in this life. We live this life of the gospel. And in this, we put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. That's, <clears throat> that's Ephesians 6. As we live in this world, we are peacemakers. And so when we think about peace, what is the beginning of peace? Well, brothers and sisters, peace begins in the heart. Only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only through the gospel of Christ. Every person has a heart of war because of sin. And so that is what we have inherited from our father Adam. As sin has come down to us, it has brought a heart not of peace, but of war and enmity with God. And so every person, every sinner has a heart of war until Christ comes and takes in residence in that heart. Jesus, is, he calls himself, he is the prince of peace. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor, and I will give you rest. There's the peace. He says in another place, My peace I leave with you, John 14, 27. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. See, the world might the world gives some kind of peace, but it is not lasting. He says, That kind of peace I do not give to you. My peace I give to you. So let your hearts not be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. That is why, as Christians, everything under the, in the world has been going wrong. And everything, all the effects of sin can be piling down upon us. But yet, unlike the world, we have peace. So the reason that we have peace as Christians is because of the person and work of Christ. And this is the gospel. What did he do? He lived a sinless life. He laid down his life as a sacrifice for sinners. Sinners like us who could find no peace because of the enmity that stands between us and a holy God. At the cross, we find peace as the one who took our punishment upon himself. That is the greatest of news. And that is the greatest reason that we have peace. Ephesians 2, 13-16. Listen to these words. But now, in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Speaking mostly in the context of Gentile and Jew there. But you who were far off have been brought near. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. 
and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And so this is peace that only the children of God. So if you are a Christian here today, if you are one who has received Christ, one who has believed on him, one who's counted the cost and said, that's what I want, I am following Jesus. If you are a believer, then you, ha- you know what I'm talking about. You have peace with God. And our, in, in this, it's not a command, but it's an exhortation. But our command throughout the New Testament is not only to carry this peace of the gospel to the world, but also to live at peace with every man, with all men. This means when we think about who do we live, who do we, who do we have try to live and be peaceable with? Does that include all men? What about those who are our enemies? Those who persecute us. That's the text of Hebrews. They were being persecuted. He's saying, live at peace with these, the, the, these guys. That's what we're supposed to do. We are to live at peace as much as possible with every person. We are a people of peace. This means practically for us, where does it begin? It begins in our homes. Our homes should be a place of peace. If not, we should seek to make our homes a place of peace in all of our relationships as Christians. And and part of that means acknowledging our sin. Part of that means asking for forgiveness, moving on, being humble, and, and striving for peace in our families. That's where it begins. And so you might say to me, well, John, how can I do this? If you only knew the sin of my children or the sins of my spouse, or the sin of my mother-in-law, or my father-in-law, or whoever it is in my house, if you only knew, if you had to work for my boss, you would know, I just can't do this. Well, I, I understand that, and that we could all, we can all identify with that in some way, shape, or form, but I get that. But on the flip side of this, because of the gospel, we profess we often find a sword instead of an olive branch, even within our own families. We've seen that even those who become Christians, sometimes siblings and mothers and fathers and grandparents, others, do not become Christians. And what happens? We all have those types of folks in our families, and our extended families. It's not an olive branch, and it's not very peaceful, and we are being persecuted because they disagree with us greatly that we would trust Christ. Jesus said, In this case, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. That's in this particular context. But, brothers and sisters, we are not left alone. In this striving for peace, we have the Holy Spirit. That is the reason that we strive for peace. That's the reason when everyone disagrees with us and all the sins come against us and people persecute us and say things about us, whatever, we can then love them. That's what we do. We are after peace. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word. We have the sword of the Spirit, as Paul says. We have the motivation of the great promises of God that we are looking forward to one day. We have the motivation that when we seek peace with all men, that they would see our good works. And then they would say, wow, how can you do this? I just... Just 
so many things there. I mean, so many, Jesus teaches so much on this topic. But when the world sees us and sees how we treat our enemies or those who persecute us, then they say, why is that the case? Well, the Bible says they will glorify our Father who is in heaven. So, to conclude this truth, brothers and sisters, our, instruction, our instructions are to pursue peace. And this is our, one of our duties. And this is the horizontal part of loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so, how are we doing? How are we doing in our, in our families? How are we doing if with those who sit beside us? How are we doing in, in our workplaces when we engage an ungodly world? How are we doing? We are to strive for peace with all men. That's truth number one. Truth number two. The gospel life requires that we strive for holiness. Look at verse 14 also. He says, <clears throat> Strive for peace. So they're striving, the pursuing for peace with everyone, and for the holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So here we see not our duty toward our fellow man, but we see our duty to God, which is holiness. As we diligently pursue peace with all men, we do the same thing with holiness. This is what Christians do. We are peacemakers, we pursue peace, and we strive for godliness. This is our duty. The principle is pretty simple. God is holy, as he says. Therefore, be holy, as I am holy. Pursue holiness. This is the only way that we will, according to the Bible, go back to the Old Testament, come to the New, the only way we will see God with holiness. So this may trigger a question as you hear this. You may see your own moral failures, your own sins, your inconsistencies. It doesn't take long for each one of us to consider our own lives. Yesterday, today, the day before, it doesn't take long. And you consider you look at your life and you, you think of your roles as a father or a mother, a husband or wife, a child, a, a, a grandparent, a boss, a friend to someone. Even when I look as elders, we look at our lives and we go and, and we see. And so we think, oh, then you might think I am the chief of sinners. As Paul looked at his life when he persecuted and killed Christians. He becomes a Christian and he looks back at that part of his life and he says, I am chief of sinners. And I think the older we get as Christians particularly, um, the more we see this. When we're young, we're gung-ho and we think we know everything and we, we're pretty, pretty godly maybe. And then 10 years and 10 years and 10 years and you think, oh, I should be more godly. Oh, I should, I should get this better. Uh, and then you realize, no, I am the chief of sinners. And so those of you who are older, particularly older than me, I feel that. And I know that you feel that as well. 1 Timothy 1.15, that's where Paul says that. And if this, true, this is true, then how can you, if you say that, when you think about your own sins, how can you be holy enough to see God? Well, if you've been coming here to grace for a period of time, and I'm looking at everybody out here, and for the most part, yes. You've heard the words of Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 1. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or maybe you've heard Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. That's a good Australian word, rubbish, garbage, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So Paul's saying, yes, all those things that he recalls about being the good Jew, the good Pharisee, persecuting the Christians, all the things that he did when he was a good Jewish Pharisee, he says they're all rubbish. Everything. So he says, those things that I can do, they didn't make me holy before God. And so he says... Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So here's, here's where holiness comes from. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But that which comes through faith. Faith in Christ. That's what Hebrews has been all about. Faith. The righteousness from God that depends on faith apart from the law. You see, in Christ, God in a good theological word, he imputes, he puts it into your bank account, the righteousness of another, the righteousness of Christ. And it is, if you are a Christian, it is yours. And so when God sees his children, if you are a Christian, in this regard, the gavel has already come down, guilty. Christ has taken your sins. Someone else has paid for your sins, but you go free. And so... As a Christian, God does not see your sin in this way. He sees the righteousness of Christ. That is the gospel. This is the greatest news ever shared. This is why we have the gospel of, we put on the shoes of the gospel of peace because this is the message that brings peace. This is about righteousness, being able to see God. This is about holiness. Okay, but... In this passage, the author is speaking more, not so much about that kind of righteousness. They're, 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 the, they're, they're the same. But he's talking about a practical striving towards holiness. And so when you think about what I was just sharing, I was sharing the, the, the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Righteousness of Christ coming down to us. But in this passage, speaking of holiness, he's speaking about the doctrine of, you've heard me say it hundreds of times, starts with an S, ends in I-O-N, it is sanctification. That's what he's talking about here. So he is saying the diligent, otherwise he can't be talking about the righteousness of Christ that comes by faith because we can't be diligent enough in that. But he's saying be diligent to strive after, to pursue after holiness, godly living now. And so, as you've heard me say before, there are many who profess Christ, but do not pursue godliness in this life. What, do you, what would you think about that? There are many who profess Christ, but do not pursue godliness in this life. They're like a beautiful cup on the outside. I think of, think of all your cups, Pam, sitting up on the wall. Some of them are pretty nice. Well, but on the inside, there could be filth we don't see. Jesus uses this 
this, this picture. He says to the religious leaders of his time, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. One of the strongest statements Jesus could ever say, Woe, bringing down judgment upon them. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful, ornamental tomb, which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. These folks who profess Christ but do not pursue godliness, let me give some more examples. They are, as Paul says, they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power, 2 Timothy 3.5. They are those who have received the grace of God in vain, 2 Corinthians 6.1. They are those who... Do not work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2.12 They are those who are not more diligent to confirm their calling and make their election sure. The working out. 2 Peter 1.10 They are those who walk aisles in front of people at Christian meetings and make professions. Then you find out their lives in practical godliness, there is no pursuit of that in their homes. They are <clears throat> picking on me. They're husbands who say they love Christ and the church, but make little effort to love their wives as Christ loved the church. They are those who say they love the people of God, but they give a very poor effort to be with the people of God on a regular basis. Instead, spend more time with even closer friends who do not even name the name of Christ. Which, by the way, that, that's, a, that's a big one because the Bible says make. Don't be unyoked with, yoked together with those who are not like-minded. And that will get you into trouble. They are those who speak highly of the things of God, but there is no practical godliness and this applies to all everyone sitting here today and I, I, these are so, these are what to say these are these are striking words and they should be to our ears because hebrews is a book of warnings and we're not those hebrew christians we're gentile christians but the principles are still the same and so these warnings come down to us and this applies to all no matter what color you are, no matter how much money you got, it applies to deacons, it applies to elders, it, apply, it applies to all of us, especially to, to preachers who diligently preach the Word but make little effort to practice what they preach. And so I must say, these words must convict us and must warn us. And for those of us who are Christians, who have the Spirit of Christ, these warning signs throughout the book of Hebrews, they are welcome signs. Because there's a sign that God uses by His grace these warnings as a means of grace to keep us moving down that road. You might come here this morning and you go, yep, John, I see those tendencies coming in. I see them. And then you hear this warning and what do you do? By the Spirit, repentance comes. And you say, I don't want that. And in your heart, you repent. And then when you talk to other Christians at home group or whatever, then you repent and you keep going. And then a month later, you get some more warning signs and exhortations. 
brothers and sisters, this is, these signs and these difficult hearings, these difficult words and these difficult sayings, they are like honey to us. The, 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 the best food we can have because they are God's loving ways of letting us hear this on Sunday mornings as we come together with God's people. But at the end of the day, only those who have an inward and an outward righteousness will see the Lord. So I pray and I hope that, that I will hear my voice this morning and that all of us will hear my voice. And I, I often think of 1 John 1 and 2 where John says, you know, there's, there's, if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. And he says, and I wrote these things that you may not sin. But then he comes back and he says, but I know that you do sin. And if you do sin, and since you do sin, who do we have? We have an advocate who stands, who sits at the right hand of the Father as we are seated with Him in the heavenly places. And all of our sins have fallen upon Him. And we come to Him in repentance and faith, trusting in what He has done. And that's what we do as Christians. And so, I'm going to end the sermon there and try to close us out. If Pam... If you could, we're going to, I'm going to read, not everybody today, but I'm going to read our covenant together and maybe make a few comments um, to, to close us out. But at the end of the day, and again, this sermon is really half. We're missing the second half of this. And next week we'll be pray because it's, it's a heavy one. And it's, it's, it, there's a lot of difficulty in the next few verses. But I look forward to that if God gives for next week. Um, but, I, but as Christians, we must pursue peace with all men. There's a horizontal. And we must pursue holiness. Those are positive duties of the life of the gospel. <clears throat> so by just way of just reminding us of how we live together in practical godliness, just a reminder today, I'm going to read. Y'all can, you don't have to read with me today. Just follow along with me as I read, and I may stop and make a comment here and there, and then we'll, we'll be finished for this morning. Having been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we joyfully, with the utmost seriousness, now enter into covenant with one another as one body of Christ. We acknowledge our dependence upon God and the Bible and that we constantly need the assistance of the Holy Spirit, especially in fulfilling this covenant. So this covenant that I'm reading is ours together. And if, I'll bring this out next week. But these exhortations here in verse 14, strive for peace. And then in verse 15, so I can, I can see that, see to it, they're both plural and so, which implies, we do this together. We can't pursue peace with all men. We cannot become godly and strive for godliness without one another, which is one of the reasons we have this covenant. Now, therefore, in the presence of God and by His grace, we commit ourselves to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We will walk together together. In Christian love, 
endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We will pray for one another, serve one another, giving preference to one another in honor. Seek after that which is good for one another. Well, that's a recipe for peace, is it not? Let's pray for one another a little bit more this week. We will bear one another's burdens. We have a hard time with that, but we, we, we will do that. We will bear one another's burdens in all humility. Accept one another as the Lord has accepted us. We'll affect, we will affectionately care for, watch over, faithfully admonish one another as God gives us opportunity. We will strive to live as Christ in the world. And denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we will seek to fulfill our calling to lead a holy life. <clears throat> to be salt and light, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will guard our tongues, not speaking evil or complaining against one another, avoiding all gossip, not lying to one another, but instead speaking words that admonish one another. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but faithfully attend the church's meetings for corporate worship, prayer, study, and fellowship. And we'll use our spiritual gifts for the common good. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We will faithfully participate in the ordinances of the church and endeavor after unity of mind in doctrine. We will both submit to the church's discipline upon ourselves <clears throat> and lovingly assume our own responsibility to participate in the discipline of other members as taught in Scripture. We will abstain from all practices which bring unwarranted harm to the body or jeopardize our own faith or the faith of others. We will practice personal and family worship to train our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We will be witnesses for Christ, seeking the salvation of our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, acquaintances, and all the world. We will, when we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's Word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for um, Your Word for us this morning, particularly the exhortations for us to be peacemakers. We know that starts with ourselves, starts with Christ, brings peace to us, and is as we live in our homes. We are what we are in our homes. and Pray that you would give us great grace as, as great sinners that we might pursue peace with all men and that we would strive for holiness and godliness in this world and all that we do. Father, we, we know that it is you who works in us. Otherwise, we would not continue. We know that you... We love you because you first loved us. So, Father, we trust in your greatness to keep us. I pray that if there are non-Christians here today, they would hear, they would inquire, they would talk to another Christian, 
about their questions. Father, I pray that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear and that you would take out their, their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh that they may turn and be saved. Even those who've been sitting here for years who've made professions. Father, none of us are immune to this. I pray that you would help us. Help us to be godly in all that we do. Help us to love Christ. Help us to look unto Him. And Father, bring us back if you're willing this next week and as some of us meet even during the week we pray for the week thank you for this time thank you for this morning this time we can have together we pray in Jesus name Amen. thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast you can listen to past sermons at podbean.com search Grace Baptist Church China Grove to find us you can also find us on Apple podcast Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row NYMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.